Hi, everybody. This is Alien Talk Podcast, a program where we discuss all things about aliens and UFOs, and as always, where we push the limits of our understanding. We are Joe Landry and Lori Olford, here with you as your co-host for a new episode on a new day. Thank you all again for joining us on the show, and for those of you tuning in for the first time, we extend a big welcome. So, hey there, Lori. How is it going? It's going well, Joe. Yes, uh, thank you all for joining us once again for another great episode. Uh, we had some dialogue with folks on our Facebook page over the past couple of weeks, so we appreciate those of you who took the time to visit us on uh, social media. Yeah, for sure. We're always open for any comments and suggestions, uh, even ones about our foil hats being on too tightly. <laughs> yeah, I, I took mine off already. <laughs> well, I, I never wore one, <laughs> but, you know, whatever. <laughs> and we also got a uh, poop. Uh, picture like uh, a crap emoji sent to us <laughs> yes we did uh, we did get a poop picture uh, i guess we got to find out that the mere mention of extraterrestrial life can rub some folks the wrong way <laughs> uh, bizarre to say the least yeah uh, but i think that uh, everyone will enjoy today's episode uh, we're both pretty excited to take on this topic so uh kick back relax and enjoy as joe and i talk about the pyramids uh, specifically the pyramids of egypt but other pyramids as well. And of course, we know that one of the popular theories out there is how and why they were built and, and that they're, uh, and is, is that they are uh, of alien origin uh, for some alien purpose. You're right. And according to an internet poll posted by Ivan uh, Prochosbik on Curios, uh, Curiosmos.com, uh, dated January 21st, 2020, a whopping 95% of people said they did not think that the pyramids were actually tombs for the pharaohs, but instead were something else, something more otherworldly, like something built by aliens. Now, it is important to note that hardly any of those surveyed were actually professional archaeologists or historians. Um, I just think it's fair to point that out. Yeah. yeah, and even so, there there are still a lot of unanswered questions about them. For instance, it is it's baffling how people could have moved such large uh, or huge stones into their proper places with such precision without the utilization of heavy machinery. Uh, even with today's moving and lifting equipment that are engine driven and hydraulically powered, uh, constructing the pyramids would be a humongous undertaking. So no matter how you think they were built, it is an incredible feat. And the idea that it was all done without large engine-driven cranes, haulers, bulldozers, freight carriers, soil graders, in addition to all the stone cutters and finishers, well, I mean, the whole thing is just mind-boggling. Yeah, the Great Pyramids of Egypt uh, really are amazing and really are incredible. And, of course, there are pyramids in a whole lot of other places around the world. <clears throat> However, they are iconic to Giza. In fact, whenever you hear the word pyramid, you think of Egypt. And when you hear the word Egypt, you think of pyramid. Uh, and to say that the theology of the Egyptians is convoluted and confusing is an understatement. <laughs> um, the Pantheon of ancient Egypt is full of both anthropomorphic and zoomorphic representations, uh, as well as uh, having mystical depictions of various abstract spiritual beliefs. There are these strange and syncretic fusions of deities with flesh and blood creatures, um, part human, part animal type of hieroglyphics. We've seen them all before. And actually, there are you know architectural features uh, in ancient Egypt that are just loaded with symbolism. Egypt, to include the pyramids, 
is so unique that uh, archaeology has its own specific branch of study that deals with it, and it's called Egyptology. Yeah, so the Giza pyramids, along with the Great Sphinx, are the seventh wonder of the ancient world, after all. And for that matter, the only one of the seven that can be seen today. The the other six are long gone. All all we have left about them are the tales that are told. And and I would say the the second famous, most famous pyramids are the uh, Central American ones, uh, Teotihuacan and the uh, Tecnochitlan the uh, so-called Pyramid of the Sun and the Pyramid of the Moon and the Snake Pyramid that were uh, built by the Mayans. Uh, But as you said, the Great Pyramids of Giza have uh, have stood out as being shrouded in mystery for as as long as there has been written history. So thousands of years, right? Um, As far as we can tell, they are the oldest. The, The Mayan ones were built well after the Egyptian ones. Uh, even to this day, with all our technological and engineering abilities and advances, we still don't fully know exactly how they were built. Yeah, there, there certainly are no blueprints that have been left behind for us to look at. It is a, a complete mystery as to how they were constructed. And even according to the Egyptian historical record, we don't have any real narrative that covers the actual processes of how they were built. Now, the dates of their construction are estimated to be from 2500 to 2700 BC, uh, but even that has been disputed, as there are some archaeologists who think that they were made before 3000 BC. Actually, according to an interview with Mark Lerner of uh, University of Chicago on the program NOVA on uh, PBS, dated February 7th, 1997, and that within the last 100 years, there's been an analysis that suggests that they were built long, long before 3000 BC. Uh, interestingly enough, these disputes seem to go for older dates and not younger ones. And from the perspectives of the ancient uh, Egyptian uh, mythological and theological tradition, we, we get a sense that they were always there. Uh, in fact, there is something known as the inventory stella currently in the Cairo Museum that bears an inscription indicating that the pyramids and the Sphinx were already standing at the time of Khufu's reign. So as we mentioned, the the theories of their construction range from slave labor to a paid and highly paid workforce, and of course, uh, to alien beings, or at least to the technology that humans learn from them. Uh, There are some people who believe that the Hebrew slaves in the Bible are the ones who built them. Yeah, and I would like to address that notion uh, really quickly, uh, if I may. There is nothing in the biblical chronology that correlates the time of Moses and the Hebrew slaves with that of the construction of the pyramids. The events laid out in the book of Exodus allude to it being in a period well after that of the patriarchs, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And most historians agree that this would have been between 1600 to 1200 B.C., Uh, The Bible says that the Israelites were enslaved for 400 years after Joseph had died, as mentioned at the end of Genesis. And this does not line up at all with the time frame of the building of the Giza pyramids. Oddly enough, the Bible makes no reference to the pyramids at all. You're right. And using that same chronology, we find that even at the time when Abraham or Abram uh, is said to have traveled from Canaan to Egypt because of the famine in uh, Genesis 12.10, that that it was probably around 2000 BC. That means the pyramids had already been completed at this time and were possibly already about uh, a thousand years old. If not older. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah, just to give a, a brief synopsis of Egyptian history, just to show how far back it goes, it is rather amazing. Uh, we have these three major periods in which it is divided. Uh, two of these periods mostly precede um, what we think of as the Old Testament time frame. Uh, we have the, the New Kingdom, which covers roughly from 1500 to 1000 BC. And this would be the time of the Hebrew enslavement and the Exodus. And before that, there there is what is called the second intermediate period, and that's possibly the setting for the story of Joseph and his brothers, the uh, other sons of Jacob, migrating into Egypt. Uh, written references show that this was a time when there was an influx of foreign people who came to the land and even ruled it, which seems to match up well with the account given at the end of Genesis and the beginning of Exodus. Right, and that second intermediate period is sometimes called the Heiskos period, referring to those uh, foreign people, the Heiskos. Um, and after that uh, is the New Kingdom, which ends around 1000 uh, BC. And it, it, then the regnal period of, uh, of Egypt starts to go into decline. Uh, pharaohs become much weaker in their political power. Egyptian society becomes less cohesive. And this then leads to the third intermediate period, which goes until about 650 BC. Now, at this point, the glory days of Egypt under the dynastic pharaohs began to wane as Egypt became a vassal state. Uh, First to the Assyrians and then the the Babylonians, uh, they made a deal with them to uh, so as for them to give tribute to Nebuchadnezzar so that he would leave them alone. Um, This was when Pharaoh Necho... um, was defeated in the Battle of Karchemesh in 605 BC, and that is re- referenced in Second Chronicles 35, 20-22, Ezekiel 30, 10-13, and Jeremiah 46-2. And then the uh, Persians took it over with their empire that lasted a, from about 525 to around 333 BC. After that, Alexander the Great conquered it, and when he died, it was given to one of his generals named uh, uh, Ptolemy. Uh, this started the age of Greek rule and influence over Egypt. Then, right, the Ptolemaic dynasty was actually the last era of the pharaohs, who were at this point puppet kings uh, to the Greeks. Uh, this is a time of the Hellenization, the quote-unquote Hellenization of Egypt, with Greek culture pervading the government and society. Uh, this is when the famous Library of Alexandria was built, is when the Septuagint was composed in Koine Greek text, and when the Hellenic title Cleopatra was given to the queens. We'll be back after a quick break. Hi, and welcome to Hiss and Tell, a cat podcast where we delve deep into the fascinating world of feline behavior with your host, me, Christina Wilson, a professional animal behaviorist. Each episode features insightful discussions with leading veterinarians, dedicated researchers and scientists, experts in cat behavior and training, and so much more. Join me as we decode the complexities of pet loss, unravel the mysteries of feline health and behavior, and discover the latest research findings. I'll meet you at Hiss and Tell. And that period ends around 63 BC when the Romans conquer it. And at that point, it's run by Pompey and Julius Caesar. And after Caesar's assassination in 44 BC, we have Octavian attacking the army of Mark Antony in Alexandria, who commits suicide, and Cleopatra, whose real name was uh, Cleopatra Philopator, Cleopatra VII, 
also committed suicide, and that ended the monarchy in ancient Egypt. It is uh, then just a province within the empire. Yeah, and at that point in 30 BC, uh, Rome is completely in charge of it, and there are no more pharaohs or queens. It is governors and prefects appointed by Caesar Augustus, and so on down the line with the other emperors. Uh, that takes us into the time of Jesus and the New Testament period. So you, you can see that most of the biblical age, uh, as we think of it, it only overlaps what would be considered as the new kingdom. Uh, some of it, you know, the earlier part uh, with, with Abraham, um, that might fall within the middle kingdom, which goes from 2150 to uh, 1750 BC. But now the pyramids were built during the time of the old kingdom. Uh, the beginning part of the old kingdom at that. So they have been around long before the Bible stories are said to have taken place. And of course, that means that they were already there when the Hebrew slave or when the Hebrews were slaves in Egypt, if that was even the case. Right. Yeah. Uh, they are older than pretty much anything referenced in the Old Testament, with the exception of the pre-flood part, I guess, and, and maybe the Tower of Babel. Uh, now, it, it has been long held among scholars that the Great Pyramids were built under the fourth dynasty pharaohs named Khufu, Khafre, and Menkara, um, which are also the names given to their prospective uh, pyramids. It has long been believed that the pyramids are royal tombs for the pharaohs and the queens, and many of them may, may have been. Uh, there are chambers inside of them that seem to have contained sarcophagi at some point. So strangely, at least as, as of modern times, they're all empty. Yeah. So, you know, uh, Napoleon, along with his generals, uh, they explored the Great Pyramids in the 1790s. And uh, he was rumored to have spent uh, a night sleeping inside the king's chamber of the Great Pyramid uh, in, a, in a way to find a like the spiritual connection with Julius Caesar and Alexander the Great, who, who Napoleon thought also spent the night alone inside the pyramids. And he wanted to do this to find a, like a higher purpose, you know, some kind of connection uh, with the spirits of Caesar and, and Alexander the Great. And of course, he found that the, uh, it, the, the pyramids were depleted of any treasure as they were looted uh, eons ago. But the story goes that in the morning when Napoleon emerged from inside, his men saw that his face was as pale white as a ghost and that his body was shaking with fright. And it was said that he refused to ever speak about it, uh, what he experienced, and which led some people to believe that Napoleon had encountered something supernatural or ethereal. Now, I wonder how many other people have tried that, you know, <laughs> spend a <laughs> night sleeping inside the king's chamber of the pyramid. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you, you probably couldn't do it today without getting into trouble with the Egyptian authorities, I'm sure. Um, you would probably need special permission to do something like that. <laughs> uh, but even more remarkable than the inside, especially with how it has been looted, is what was taken from the outside. And by that, I mean the outer casing blocks made of limestone that you can still see on the top portion of the uh, Khufu Pyramid. Uh, and notice how it uh, retains that uh, original outer surface that appears smoother and more precise uh, than the portion that's uh, below it, you know, which has been quarried away over the centuries, of course. But you can see the perfection and proficiency of the craftsmanship that, that must have went into these uh, ancient structures. Right. And, and the Sphinx is also made of limestone. And while it has suffered uh, a lot of damage and, and weathering over all the centuries, um, it is in pretty decent shape. 
Uh, and that's because most of it was buried in the sand all the way up to the neck until about the 1920s when they uh, unearthed it and, and it removed a lot of the sand. Uh, so it wasn't as vandalized by marauders over the centuries like the pyramids were, but you can see how bright the Sphinx is in the daytime. I mean, it's, it's almost illuminating with its own glow when the sun is shining on it. So if the, the if Khufu, Khafre, and Menkara uh, still had the limestone casing blocks on their exteriors, I mean, just imagine how brilliant they would appear reflecting the sunlight. I mean, they already look dazzling in their uh, desert surroundings, but I think they would really stand out if they had their original limestone casing. Yeah, so even after all that work of erecting the main structure, they had to put uh, into place those limestone casing stones to form the exterior surfaces. So these pieces of limestone had to be cut and polished and specially formed to fit perfectly into place, much like a puzzle. So this this gave it the the smooth, flat, and the the shiny appearance, which yeah, obviously has degraded over the thousands of years. But uh, I mean, why go through this you know such labor? Like, what was the purpose? That is a good question. Um, you know, the three pyramids, I mean, they're, they're huge and they were constructed on an area covering uh, 13 acres with about 2.5 to 2. Uh, or sorry, 2.3 to 2.5 million individual stone blocks uh, with each one weighing anywhere from one to 2.5 tons. Now, you know, that's about the size and weight of an average uh, sport utility vehicle. Uh, they were also made especially to align with the cardinal points of the compass. Uh, so they weren't just done haphazardly. And they are arranged so as to align with the stars and the belt of the constellation Orion. It's true. Uh, if you if looked at from above, you can see that the pattern on which they are laid out on the ground is, is the exact same way as the stars in the constellation, in the belt of the constellation Orion, and how they are positioned in the sky. So not only were they these massive undertakings, but they were done with the, the finest precision. I mean, the finest design uh, in, such, in such a way that it gave them just this incredible endurance uh, over, you know, the millennia. Yeah, it's just, just so much intelligence for such an early civilization at the time. Uh, I, I, and I think the pharaohs wanted to be buried uh, under them because they were monuments to the gods. Uh, Egyptian priests most likely tried to mimic the gods leaving Earth and you know, possibly needing the uh, power from the pyramids to power their ships to the heavens. Their, their preparations in preparing to leave Earth by you know, dieting and being placed in a spacesuit uh, was also mimicked by the priests in embalming practices and rituals, uh, which you know ended up not 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 being too good. I don't think they got it exactly right. No. Uh, but we see the same thing happen to the Aztecs on the other side of the world by committing you know the human sacrifices in hopes to appease the gods and maybe maybe have them return. Now, now speaking of the Aztecs and their predecessors, the the Mayans. How did their pyramid of the sun have a similar design like that of the Great Pyramid of Giza? It's nearly identical in, in the measurements at the base. Uh, I think the Pyramid of the Sun is around 760 feet, while the Pyramid of Giza is approximately 756 feet at the base dimensions, or, or vice versa. It's one, one or the other. Um, I mean, how was that possible? The, the same gods, perhaps, maybe? I don't know. Uh, perhaps also the same misunderstood alien technology. Who knows? Yeah, perhaps. And so by you know the time of the New Kingdom, uh, we, we, see, we see that the practice of, of pyramid building uh, seemed to, to end in, in Egypt 
uh, as what was going on is the bodies of pharaohs would then be placed within uh, a necropolis, uh, such as the one in the Valley of the Kings, which is much further uh, south along the Nile River, further south from Cairo. And in periods thereafter, um, they were just buried in regular tombs, um, not much different than the common tombs. Um, now, could it be because the ingenuity to build the pyramids uh, has started to become lost? Perhaps over the course of generations, the technical know-how became less and less utilized. And as at that point, the gods had been so long gone that the Egyptians um, you know, lacked the proper guidance and the proper instructions on how to build uh, megastructures. Yeah, and and I I'm thinking whatever blueprints there were that may have been lost in the uh, fires of uh, Alexandria. Uh, so, but if you look at some of the interior drawings of the pyramids, they almost have a mechanical configuration to them. So I'm wondering if the pyramids weren't tombs at all, but uh, because of its design and that limestone exterior, uh, was it more of a power grid of some kind? Like, uh, so I decided to look it up and and. Boy, was I amazed at what I read in an article titled titled Limestone as an Efficient Energy Distributor. So, you know, Joe, having the knowledge that we have today about science and astronomy, and I, I think it's more plausible to believe the Egyptians were assisted at least by a more advanced civilization of extraterrestrials than people may, may even realize. Sure. And, and uh, another amazing feature about the Pyramid Khufu is that it actually has eight sides, not four. Um, this is something that has only been noticed within the age of aviation, and even then it is barely discernible. Uh, it was discovered in 1940 when British pilots had photographed it as the sun was at a, a low angle um, in the early afternoon uh, during the time of the vernal equinox in March. And it can be seen from up above that the four sides are slightly concave, you know, with the lines that go from the base to the top, making it uh, two sides where it seems to only be one. So this concavity was actually found through careful measurements that were taken by Sir William Flinders Petrie uh, way back in the mid-18th century. Um, but it wasn't truly noticed until people were able to fly over them in airplanes and see them from above. Yeah, I know, I know what you're talking about because I saw an aerial video uh, not that long ago, and you can see the indentation down the middle of each of the four sides when you know when the light and the shadows uh, it is just right which which makes it look like eight um that makes its construction even more seemingly advanced as it would require a remarkable level of mathematical knowledge um in his book lost ancient technology of egypt brian forster explains how the engineering sophistication involved with the design of the pyramids far surpassed anything that could have existed in egypt at that time uh, he goes on to propose that there was a civilization which predated the pharaohs and was referred to as uh, Kemet or Kemet. Uh, now, there is another story of a highly advanced society that existed long ago and then disappeared. And we all know that, of course, to be Atlantis. Right. And, and we know that the ancient astronaut theory uh, gives claim that there was a presence here on Earth in the distant past. And that presence was imbued with highly developed technology and innovation. So while it seems very plausible that the pyramids and the Sphinx were built by human hands to serve as you know, tombs or cenotaphs for the powerful pharaohs, we, we can also find a link to just such a tradition of there being an advanced race here on Earth. So could it be that even though something like an Atlantis um, 
continent was destroyed, like in the flood, that the great wealth of scientific and engineering knowledge that they possessed had somehow been preserved. And that it could be that, that such knowledge was passed on to the Egyptians when they built the pyramids. And that knowledge was then eventually just, you know, lost to time. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you, you have to wonder if the continent of Atlantis wasn't just loaded with pyramid-shaped structures. Uh, maybe the pyramids that we have around the world were built as humanity's way of preserving the memory of that great civilization. And that great civilization might just be our, our alien ancestors who at one time lived here on Earth with us. Yeah, so, you know, the the labor force needed for such a project is believed to be in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands. Uh, and it is dubious that there was such an availability of manpower in, in back at the time, like in 2500 BC. This means that if there were not enough workers who populated the land of Egypt, it would almost certainly necessitate uh, the requirement for machinery to be used. Um, and that machinery should not have been in existence. Yeah, right. And uh, uh, wh whether the workers were paid stone masons or slaves, uh, archaeologists speculate that it took about 20 years to complete each uh, pyramid by using ramps, ropes, and pulleys to move the blocks into place. While it's true that stone quarries were you know, not that far away, these ancient builders still had to cut and chisel them out and move them along the sand, possibly by wetting the sand in order for the blocks to slide easier. So this clearly was a huge effort involving concise uh, management and support logistics and effective coordination and planning. Yeah, now, I mean, the limestone used for its casing, it was also pretty close to uh, Giza. Um, they were believed to have come from an area about seven miles to the south of Cairo. However, uh, some of the, the granite stones uh, that are used in the chambers and the chamber walls and chamber uh, ceilings, they were moved all the way from Aswan. Uh, which is over 500 miles away, you know, south uh, along the Nile River. Yeah, and the, the heaviest granite stones weighed up to 160,000 pounds, and those were supposedly moved down the river. So, I mean, do you know how far 500 miles is? <laughs> it's uh, it's like going from, say, Tucson, Arizona to Las Vegas, Nevada, which is like a seven-hour uh, drive at 70 miles per hour. So yeah, sounds, sounds about right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. We've made that trip many times. <laughs> uh, question is why, like why go through all this trouble and, and for what, why are you going to cut out an 80 ton piece of granite, the weight of a space shuttle, for example, and then pull it through sand with wooden pulleys and rollers, not to mention the tons of sweat poured out by the, thousands of uh, strong backs needed to do all the pushing and the pulling and then to place them on a wooden ship for a 500 mile river cruise. <laughs> yeah. And, and you have to wonder if they even had boats that were large enough and, and sturdy enough to haul all that weight. I'm thinking what they had back then for sailing on the Nile river was nothing more than mere rafts made of reeds. I mean, did they even have the marine capability to move such heavy cargo? I'm not sure they really did. Hey, right. Uh, they would have needed a whole bunch of boats to move even just one granite block. Uh, I mean, whatever kind of boat they were, you know, they were nothing even close to being like the huge steel barges that, you know, you, you see on the rivers today, which is what seems to would have been needed uh, to even transport that. 
Sure. And, and there really is no technical data from antiquity that explains the processes and the administrative bureaucracy that was involved, you know, with these labor operations. The earliest treaties that document the scale of the organization and project planning comes from the Greek scholars, Herodotus, uh, Diodorus, and Strabo. Uh, they assert that they learned from indirect sources, of course, and many centuries later, uh, that the pyramids were built as burial places for the pharaohs and as depositories for their vast riches. And they claimed that there were hundreds of thousands of workers, possibly slaves, uh, who were employed to work on it for 20 years just for the Great Pyramid, for, for Khufu. Um, and Pliny the Elder, a Roman writer, actually thought that they were kind of a, a civil works project for conscripted laborers, you know, basically as a way for the pharaohs to keep the people busy by, quote, erecting stupendous monuments to their vanity, unquote. Uh, now, throughout the Middle Ages, uh, they were often said to be these cenotaphs, you know, which are memorials of stone um, that commemorated the great pharaohs of the past because they, in the Middle Ages they knew the, the pyramids were empty. Um, and then, you know, there were even some tales uh, that were circulated at that time, uh, seemingly from Coptic and Orthodox monks from the Sinai, that the pyramids were the granaries of Joseph that are mentioned in the Bible. Yeah, there, there's also a legend in Islam uh, that a king named Surid, who lived 300 years before the flood, and that he constructed them after having a terrifying dream about the pending disaster about to come. Uh, to uh, to house all the the knowledge of mankind so that it would be you know not lost. Uh, there was also some medieval mystics who thought that they were built before Adam's time. So we, we see even far back in time that there is a a prevailing tradition that the pyramids uh, are much older than humanity itself. Yeah, right. And, and there were obviously you know long periods of time where people had incorrect and in, you know information about pyramids. I mean, certainly the pyramids are not the granaries uh, mentioned in the Bible as uh, for, for the Joseph used to store um, you know, crops and, and, and food supplies. Now, th there is a name associated with the construction of the Great Pyramids. Uh, he, he was a royal advisor to the Pharaoh Dozier, and his name is Imhotep. Now, Dozier was a, a Pharaoh who reigned about 100 or so years before Khufu, and Imhotep um, was no ordinary person, as depicted in religious texts. He was considered a demigod, <clears throat> and according to Julia Troch, uh, probably the only non-Pharaoh to be worshipped after his death. So who, who was in Hephthotef? Um, like other obscure figures in ancient history, he seems a little shadowy, you know, like Melchizedek, um, like Simon Magnus, the dragon emperor of China, and of course the, the fabled Hermes Trismegistus, uh, meaning Hermes Trice Great, Imhotep comes across as being magical and as having exceptional understanding of astronomy, mathematics, poetry, medicine, and of course, uh, exceptional understanding of architecture. Right. And uh, characters like Imhotep and Hermes had wisdom and abilities beyond normal humans. The, the legends told about them say that they stood out among men. And it is here that we find a tie-in with them and the watchers, who, of course, were the fallen angels, the fallen ones, the sons of God, or whatever name you choose to give them, uh, that are described in the books of Enoch and Genesis. Now, with the ancient astronaut theory, we, we see what, the, what there really is, and, and that is a tie-in 
in with uh, extraterrestrial beings, aka the uh, Anunnaki. And the Egyptians had an affiliation for them, just as the Sumerians did. Uh, they were known as the Natiru, meaning guardians. Now, according to Zachariah Sitchin's work, as well as that of his uh, niece Janet, the Natiru lived long before the pharaohs and came from a place called the world of a million years and were around until there was a great deluge, that being the great flood, of course, which many scholars, including Sitchin, believe occurred about 13,000 years ago. And like the Watchers, some of the Natiru had a lusting for human women. Yeah, and we see these parallel traditions uh, emerge from comparative mythology uh, to include the biblical narrative, and that there is this rather prevalent theme that seems to pop up all the time, and that theme is that there are these extraordinary people who, who dwell among the human race, and that they come from places that are not of this world. Uh, they seem to be thought of as by the ancients as coming down from the heavens, and we see that imagery a lot in, in the stories. I mean, even the word Anunnaki is translated as those who from the heavens came down. So, Laurie, you mentioned that there is a stella in Cairo that has a hieroglyphic inscription telling of how the pyramids and the Sphinx were already standing at the time of Khufu's reign. Um, that particular relic was found by August Mariette uh, around 1850 in his excavations of the Serapium and the Temple of Isis. And you, you have to wonder at what it could mean if they, if they really were built long before conventional archaeology seems to suggest. Yeah, and in Sitchin's Earth Chronicle series, uh, he points out that there are about 30 major pyramids in Egypt, and all of them were possibly built by pharaohs, but, but that the Giza pyramids were not, uh, and they were around long before the pharaohs. And we find a trace of that notion preserved in that medieval story of Surid, who is said to have built them before the flood, thus you know, suggesting that they may have been around to serve as beacons in the Sinai spaceport landing corridor, that there is no evidence of, of the pharaohs uh, being buried in the pyramids, of course. Uh, but even though the, the others were built by the pharaohs, uh, they were not built as tombs, but instead they were built as the, you know, the cenotaphs, the monuments to their greatness. Though you also have to keep in mind that the only inscription found in the pyramid Khufu is actually controversial, as some experts think that that is a fraud. Right. And you're referring to Colonel Howard Weiss, the uh, British explorer, who in 1837 was said to have discovered the sarcophagus of Pharaoh Menkara at Giza. But later, there were a lot of questions as to its authenticity. Yep. Uh, it, it, and he claimed to have discovered a cartouche uh, inside the uh, uh, the Mankara pyramid that spelled out the name Khufu in red paint. But but this came under a good bit of scrutiny as uh, painted hieroglyphs for uh, Khufu, the K-H-U-F-U, actually spelled out Rafu, which was R-A-U-F-U, which had the, the name of Ra as part of it. So so this seemed to be uh, an, an, an era that made some wonder if Vice didn't just paint that cartouche himself after he had disappointedly discovered nothing significant. Uh, apparently, one of Vice's companions named Humphreys Buer witnesses this as a, as, a hoax, as a hoax with the inscription being about the group and, and mentioned it in his uh, journal. This this was then found years later after he died, and, and his family went public with it. 
So supposedly Vice's uh, expedition was actually a, a very unfruitful one. Uh, I mean, back then, you know, they would use black powder to blast out openings to get into chambers. So you can just imagine how many relics and artifacts would get disturbed by, by doing that. Um, after not coming across the evidence that he wanted to find, and that evidence he wanted to find was to support Herodotus's claim that the, it was the pharaohs of the fourth dynasty who were responsible for building the pyramids, uh, you know, Vice uh, started to become despondent. Uh, he, he wanted to first provide the justification for the cost of the whole enterprise to show that he actually made an important discovery. And second, he wanted to attain notoriety for himself in the field of Egypto uh, Egyptology. So this cartouche of his is not, not the indisputable proof that the Great Pyramids were built under the pharaohs. It's really nothing but graffiti. Yeah, right. And, and don't forget that the, the Sphinx is thought to have been constructed under the reign of Khafre, uh, of whose namesake is the second pyramid. Uh, yet, according to the inventory stella, the Sphinx and the, and the pyramids were already standing as Khufu gave homage to Osiris. Uh, so, so Khafre was a fourth dynasty king, but there have been images found in hieroglyphs from the first dynasty, which was 600 years before the time of Khafre, that depict what seems to be the Sphinx at Giza. So this suggests that it was already there at the time of these four dynasty kings. Yeah, so they weren't built by the pharaohs to serve as tombs. You know, why, why are they there? Is it possible that they might have been a part of a, like you said, an energy distribution lattice, you know, like a network in which they are interconnected to different parts of the globe, just like how we talked about a few weeks ago uh, on the importance of the meaning of the number 33 and of the 33rd parallel. Well, I think the pyramids with their limestone composition and their proximity to the 33rd parallel may be related to something. Uh, there is an interesting article by John Cartwright at uh, chemistryworld.com dated September 1st, 2011. Solar energy could have charged batteries comprised of calcium carbonate, which is found in limestone. Now, he states the solar radiation in desert locations could be harnessed in such batteries to be used as electrical power sources, and that it is one of the ways researchers are exploring the greener ways to generate electricity. Since the Sahara Desert alone has enough sunlight to falls uh, within six hours to power the world for an entire year. That's astonishing, isn't it? Yes, uh... And I think those uh, so-called batteries that Cartwright is talking about are more like reactors in which uh, calcium carbonate is converted into quicklime, which is calcium oxide and carbon dioxide, uh, CO2. Uh, the reconversion of quicklime into limestone releases a lot of heat, which of course could be used to generate steam, to drive you know, turbines, to drive generators. So how did such an early civilization know not only the mathematical precision in constructing the pyramids, but also the properties of limestone. The problem is that for these reactions to take place to form the quicklime, the temperature needs to be almost 2,000 degrees Fahrenheit. So if limestone was some kind of like ancient fuel, it would require a good bit of energy for the process of converting it. Right. And that's what I mean. How, how does an early civilization like this know all of this? Um, this, again, supports the, that idea that someone with advanced technology was present in Egypt back then. Uh, now, remember a while ago in our ancient spaceports episode, how we talked about how uh, huge, uh, how about how, uh, how huge those blocks are, uh, 160,000 pounds. Uh, they are massive. A, a human standing next to one is but a speck. 
there is simply no way that an early people had the means to accomplish this. There is also the 1,000-ton broken Egyptian obelisk uh, or, uh, or obelisk still carved in its quarry. We see many pictures of that. But 1,000 a thousand tons, that equals to about 2 million pounds. Uh, it seems very unlikely that this uh, construction was done so to you know, facilitate a sort of high-tech operation, uh, not just for the purpose of a temple. So, you know, in the Earth Chronicles, uh, there is something that's brought up, and it's called the Pyramid Wars, which are said to have taken place quite a long time ago, like uh, 10,000 years ago or, or more. Um, there were two of them, the first and the second. And uh, Sitchin speculates that the Giza pyramids and the Sphinx came around this time, and that obviously this is way before the time of Pharaoh Khufu. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. So let me lay the sitting out for the pyramid wars. <laughs> um, so according to Sitchin's translations of a text called the Lugali, the Anunnaki used the pyramids often for the purposes of communication uh, in regard to their space travel. And he claimed that they were landmarks for incoming flights. Uh, the communication devices inside them were also used to fight off enemy Anunnaki who were attempting to take them over. So the beginning of a tale is found on a temple wall in the Egyptian city, Idfu. And Sitchin, as well as some other scholars, believed it was describing the first pyramid war. Uh, it begins with, uh, this is what it says, in the year 363, His Majesty Ra, the, the Holy One, the Falcon of the Horizon, the Immortal One for who, who forever lives, was in the land of Ken. He was accompanied by warriors for the enemies had conspired against their Lord. So this war was supposedly over control of earth and the spaceports, you know, started by Inki slash Ptah and his son Ra, Babylonian Marduk. Now Ptah ruled Egypt for over 9,000 years, whereas Ra only you know, got to rule for a thousand years due to the flood. It was cut short due to the flood. So it is believed then that the Giza pyramids and the space forts were built around 10,000 BC. Sitchin went on to explain that a Sumerian text named the Paradise Myth, aka Inki and Ninhursag, uh, and is in fact referencing control of Egypt and the Sinai Peninsula for the pyramids and the spaceports. Now, after the first pyramid war, uh, the council of the gods awarded Egypt to Horus. And then the second pyramid war took place 300 years later, in which the descendants of Enki's brother Enlil took over all that, uh, that was given to Horus, and control was then transferred to Thoth. So uh, these, these are what are the, the mythological battles of the gods um, that are believed to have taken place before the time of Egyptian civilization. And if the gods of our legends are indeed extraterrestrials, then these events described are battles among ancient aliens. Now, we've talked before about giants living on Earth in the remote past as well, the Nephilim of the Bible and of the Book of Enoch. Um, the gods of antiquity were often said to be gigantic. Uh, that's pretty typical. So could they have been the lifters, the carvers, the movers, and the masons? Uh, we, uh, as humans, uh, this day and age, might have trouble moving 160,000 pounds of granite uh, with our bare hands, but getting up giants who are 10 feet tall or even larger, well, they, they might be able to pull it off. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, and of course, the gods of antiquity are one and the same as the ancient aliens. So imagine if you, if you will, uh, how that particular obelisk uh, broke, the one that we spoke about earlier. There had to be some kind of ancient machine, like, say, a giant belt sander used to chisel this thing out. Um, but because of the science of you know pressure and the friction caused upon it, and you know with a giant standing on top of it, caused it to break near the top. Uh, so then it was like, oh crap, <laughs> great! Uh, all right, guys, let's do another one. <laughs> yeah, all right, guys, let's yeah, let's move on. Leave this one here for another ten thousand years. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, the builders being giant extraterrestrials would, I mean, they would. Uh, be able to, I mean, they would also explain the Mayan pyramids uh, and and the missing summits on the mountains of Peru. You know, they traveled, you know, throughout the ancient world through the through the skies, um, going from place to place. So there has to be a connection there. It's uh, it's absolutely amazing when you think about it. And you know, when when I was growing up in the church, now I, I first believed that the pyramids were built by the Hebrew slaves, mostly because of that famous Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston. Yeah, great movie, by the way. <laughs> oh yeah, it, it, classic, of course. But but I began leaning more to the Egyptians who built them. Uh, then it went to maybe you know they had help from an extraterrestrial race to now thinking that they may uh, just very well have been constructed by aliens themselves. Uh, by aliens, I mean the gods of Egypt and Sumer. Um, you know, and, and as we discussed in ancient spaceports, uh, that some of the most sacred and intriguing places of Earth may be so because at one time they were associated with the appearances of these extraterrestrials, uh, namely these places, uh, you know, were spaceports for them. Right. And we, we talked about how the pyramids, especially if they were completely encased in limestone blocks, as we believe that they were. Uh, would have served as a great reference point on the ground uh, that would be visible from very high altitude. And we also looked at uh, Baalbek in Lebanon with its you know huge 160,000-pound granite blocks and pondered if this was not meant to be a sort of landing platform for spacecraft. Right. Uh, there's a column in the, the, New, the uh, New Yorker by Elif uh, Battleman dated December 18, 2014, in which she wrote about what could be the biggest mystery reference to Baalbek stones is the size. So she wrote that uh, nothing puzzles archaeologists uh, so much as impracticality. So the Baalbek demanded strong foundational stones to support the pillars holding up the, the podium of the temple, You know that being the expansive temple of Jupiter, which according to the archaeologists that she was interviewing also claimed that you know, they are bigger than they need to be. So Batman uh, decided not to ask about Sitchin's theory. They decided not to bring that up uh, of it being, you know, the landing pad uh, described in the Epic of Gilgamesh because archaeologists are seldom receptive to the notion of ancient astronauts. And you see, that's the problem right there. Uh, archaeologists have this narrative that they have to fit the modern day Western mind. And anything outside of it, well, I mean, what, it won't be taken seriously and, and will many times be laughed at. And I think it's time to, to change that approach. Yeah, so the, the Giza pyramids and, and the Great Sphinx will probably always be a mystery. Uh, whether or not they were built to glorify the everlasting legacy of the pharaohs, um, they, they seem to be a tangible connection to something higher than us, something beyond our world. And whatever that world may be, uh, spiritual, mystical, 
or even extraterrestrial, uh, we're all drawn to them. Um, they let us touch our past from the long ago, from the time before time, uh, before the very memory of human civilization. And like our gods and our myths, uh, the pyramids are eternal. And with that, we end our fourth season. So thank you everyone for uh, downloading and tuning in. And we hope you've, uh, we hope we've helped stir a passion in all of you uh, about getting to know more about the pyramids and about Egyptology and just about history. And what I think you know, is probably the most fascinating subject out there. Uh, I just love history. I love ancient history. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we, we greatly appreciate your support of Alien Talk Podcast. And we, uh, we thank all of you who, who share your thoughts with us on Facebook. Uh, Joe and I always uh, enjoy good dialogue. Um, so next season will be number five, and we'll be kicking it off with an episode about first contact. And uh, are we ready for it? I don't know. Something, something tells me that we are not ready for it. <laughs> no, uh, we are probably not. Uh, um, but we hope to be able to have a, a guest or two on uh, on a show in, in the near future uh, for some insight uh, interviews. So, so definitely uh, stick around with us, guys. Yes, uh, we'll be back with you in two weeks, and we look forward to joining you all again. And in the meantime, stay curious. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening in, and uh, we hope you enjoyed the episode. Take care now.